live in the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York, on Tuesday, January 16th, 2024. I'm Gianna Volpe. New York Governor Kathy Hochul will present her proposed state budget this afternoon. Michael Gormley reporting on Newsday.com that aid figures will be based on the state's foundation aid formula, which includes factors such as enrollment and the local community's wealth as formula. Results normally would rise and fall, but the hold harmless practice prevented any school district from receiving less aid than in the prior year. However, Governor Hochul today will propose ending the hold harmless clause that has been part of the school state uh, state school aid for decades. Overall, state school aid in Hochul's budget proposal would increase $825 million to $35.3 billion, or a 2.4% increase over the 2023-2024 state budget. Hochul's state budget would include a total of $233 billion in state and federal spending. The current state budget, according to New York State Comptroller Thomas DiNapoli, is $229 billion. In other news, accused Gilgo Beach serial killer Rex Hurman is expected to be charged today with the fourth count of murder for the death of Maureen Brainerd Barnes. Suffolk County District Attorney Raymond Tierney will announce the new charge once they're unsealed in court in Riverhead. Law enforcement sources confirmed Isabel Keene, Larry Salona and Jorge Fitzgibbon report in the New York Post that Herman, 60, was named the prime suspect in Brainerd Barnes' murder when he was charged over the other so-called Gilgo Four slangs of sex workers whose remains were discovered on the Long Island beach in December 2010. Brainerd Barnes, who disappeared in 2007 when she was 25, was found bound by a distinctive belt stamped with the initials WH or HM, which could have belonged to Herman's grandfather, William Herman. Prosecutors have previously argued. Herman, a New York City architect and married dad of two, was arrested this past July in connection to the notorious case. Authorities were able to pinpoint Herman as the suspect after DNA from the hair of victim Megan Waterman matched that of his, taken by investigators from a discarded pizza crust last uh, January. Herman was charged with murdering Waterman, 22, Melissa Bartholomew, Bartholomew, 24, and Amber Lynn Costello, 27, whose remains were discovered wrapped in burlap within days of each other near Brainerd Barnes, uh, where Brainerd Barnes was found along Ocean Parkway near Gilgo Beach in Suffolk County between December 2010 and April 2011. No suspects have been named in connection to the deaths of other victims who have been found near Gilgo Beach. Herman is scheduled to appear in Suffolk County Supreme Court Justice uh, Timothy Mazai's Riverhead courtroom this morning. And finally, the Bridgehampton Child Care and Recreational Center will hold a community health fair this coming Saturday, January 20th from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. The wellness event will feature a variety of vendors tailored to the community's needs, including health, free screenings and food distribution, and information on available resources. There is no charge to attend, and the event will include a complimentary brunch 
In addition to medical resources and services, there will be vendors providing information about immigration, housing, banking, English as a second language, and more. Alternative health practitioners offering services such as Reiki and massage will be on site. Addressing health at a community level reflects the Bridge, uh, Bridgehampton Child Care and Recreational Center's mission that is based on collective encouragement, empowerment, and education. More information can be found at bhccrc.org. Reading the weather in Greenport in honor of artist Sabina Streeter, whose Port and Harbor exhibition is in its final two weeks at the Floyd Memorial Library in Greenport. Joining us at the bottom of the hour here on the heart, looking like rain before 5 p.m., then a chance of rain and snow. High near 36 degrees east wind, 11 to 16 miles per hour, becoming northwest in the afternoon, looking like Less than a half an inch of snow accumulation possible. Uh, tonight, cloudy during the early evening, then gradually clearing with a low around 22 degrees. Wind chill values will be between 10 and 20. So blustery with a northwest wind, 18 to 22 miles per hour. Right now it's 35 degrees and flurries have turned to light rain. I've got the Port and Harbor edition planned for you. Chistov uh, Klenchen on deck before Beirut after Ruby Smith with Gene Cedric and his orchestra kicking it off with the Port Wine Blues right here on the Heart Morning and Midnight Show featuring music from all decades and genres and interviews with folks from all walks of life all because of you, the listener supporter of WLI. WFM news you can trust and music you love on 88.3 FM throughout eastern Long Island and coastal Connecticut, 96.9 in central and western Suffolk County, streaming online to wherever you may be at WLIW.org slash radio.
And he'd always treat me fine But he took away all my loving And stole my last drink of wine He said that wine was no good And would surely drive me mad But reserve me a room in the bug house Cause it's the best drink I ever had Oh, it was Just about
I called through the air that night I can't see your voice without light I could only smile I've been alone sometime And all and all It's been fine And you From Beirut to Gibson Chima, you never know what you're going to hear. Here on The Heart, Morning and Midnight Show. Stay tuned for Sabina Streeter. 
I'm Jenna Volpe, and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to WLIWFM, Long Island's only local NPR radio station.
Chima's Port of Call and the picture that came with the Frame EP we've got Arthur Lyman's Harbor Lights from the At the Port of Los Angeles record Uh, although I think I probably will end up bunny hopping forward and playing uh, the version of Harbor Lights that Swing and Sway and Sammy Kay did before Christopher Walsh's Three Mile Harbor as we switch from port to harbor tracks, appropriately so. We've got Sabina Streeter joining us for our hot studio segment at the bottom of the hour, underwritten by Peconic Landing. This edition of The Heart also brought to you by Southampton Arts Center. Good morning, Sabina. Thank you so much for being with us. Good morning, Jenna. Thank you for inviting me. So, big honor and a big oh, fan of your show. No, stop it. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of your work. I got a chance to look at your website uh, this morning, at sabinastreeterart.com. Yes. Absolutely adore, uh, am in love with your portraits, although we're here to talk about your architectural work, uh, which is the subject of Port and Harbor a preservation, not speculation, which has been on display at Floyd Memorial Library in Greenport since November 10th, uh, closes February 4th, if I'm not mistaken. So February 4th. Okay, That's so correct. Yes. I'm very yes. excited to catch your show before it closes, as it's a tale of two villages, both of which have been subject to their own share of speculation over preservation, though that certainly has been a bigger topic in SAG, where where you where you live, um, and, uh, we we have something to signi- quite significant to celebrate in Greenport in the saving of the old movie theater and the formation of the North Fork Arts Center. At, at least this year, can you speak to your interest in the topic of preservation and what you've witnessed in your years of living in SAG Harbor since nineteen ninety two? Yes, um, yeah. So. Uh, I live here since 1992. Um, I raised my daughter here. She went to Pearson, graduated from Pearson, and um, I live in a 150-year-old farmhouse, and my studio is in a 200-year-old whaling captain's house, a former whaling captain's house, and both of them uh, uh, are delicately restored, but very much within the authentic details. They're... Uh, they're uh, basically um, not, they were never gutted, they were just lovingly restored. So, um, so therefore, I and when I came to the cover, most people did that with their houses. And then over the years, uh, there was more and more destruction of historic houses, which were completely taken apart because uh, the, the developers claimed they just wouldn't fit the modern needs and uh, they cannot be preserved and they have to be extended and so forth. And they, then I've heard uh, I've heard that that cost of of course but also uh the the guidelines are are very stringent. Uh, those are two uh from certain developers points of view. 
other other the guidelines that... are not stringent. No, the guidelines are not stringent at all. Uh, what concerns the interiors, mm. as long as you keep as long as you keep the facade. So what you have in many of the houses, just the facade is left almost like a stage set, right. and then the interior is completely gutted, which in a lot of cases is not necessary, down to the last doorknob, and then additions put on. So mostly, I have a house next to me where really every square foot, an old workers' cottage from the turn of century was completely, it fell apart. That's it, beautiful. It was gutted and just oh, a big no. addition put on. It's not beautiful. And, oh, yeah, it's all, yeah. That's, oh, yeah, such yeah, yeah. A, that's heartbreaking. I'm, it, it's heartbreaking, yeah. and that, that that house is 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 featured in my exhibition a lot because I sketched the, the ongoing uh, remnants of, the poor house and then the construction going on and every square footage is built up and pools are being put in and that is pretty much all over the village which right. started about 2014 when I had exhibitions at the whaling museum um, the first one was called captains mates and widows and the second was uh, sister sailors which were the women who went to sea part of them and uh, the harpooners etc because when I saw these houses being, these historic houses being gutted, I thought, God, where are the ghosts going? So right. that was sort of an homage to that. And then I was invited years later by Sally Grant of, of the Memorial Floyd Library to do some similar subject matter for Greenport and the North Fork. And within a year of what we sort of worked with and kicked around ideas, it really, after COVID, accelerated in Sac Harbor to such an extent that I turned around and suggested, um, yes, I will do a couple of historical portraits, but the focus will be on the uh, uh, on on the on buildings. the speculation and yeah. the buildings of these of these historical buildings that are under the pressures of modern consumerism. Right, and so that is how the show was conceived and the comparison between Greenport and Sac Harbor, who have um, quite similar histories. I mean, they're the, the, the only, with the exception of Montauk, uh, maritime, uh, have a big harbor, have a big maritime history, and um, therefore uh, have been compared a lot. Right. And I, and I just, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I absolutely love, one of my favorite memories of living out here is Gail Horton walking me around Greenport Village and and showing me all of the historical evidence. Um, he, you know, the history is alive out here. And in she would say, you know, do you see these cobblestones out in front of the houses? Well, that's where when you would get out of your carriage, you would step onto the the cobblestones because. Uh, the streets were were muddied and and there was horse mess and there was yeah we have a couple of those in, do you in fact, that's what cover I as well yes I love we that. do but that is all wonderful it's about uh, and those are left intact but in general at least what concerns Sac Harbor is that we really have big speculation right at our doorstep right. imminently um if uh, anybody's interested there is a big meeting on the 23rd of january because we are supposed to have a big develop uh, 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 development right in the backyard of sac harbor on rose and water so right um, 
it is we it 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 and it's not only aesthetically it's also about sustainability and it's also not only about uh the 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 aesthetic reasons it's also that every square footage is being built up in a historical village. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can you speak more to that? Because that's that's sort of what I, I was alluding to when I said that uh, speculation over preservation has certainly been a bigger topic in SAG this year. Um, do, do you want to talk a little bit about what it's been like as a resident uh, just even just this past year? Uh, what are, are residents like yourself thinking worrying about and wanting? Well, I mean, first of all, year-round residents, of which I am one, if you live in the historic village, there were there were weeks you could barely get down the street because mm-hmm. uh, streets like Madison Street, like Grand Street, were just packed with, with uh, 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 huge trucks, with uh, oh. construction cars, wow. with uh, all parking on the in front of your house noise nonstop from they can build from 7 a.m uh, sorry from 8 a.m to 5 a.m now they extended it for until 6 a.m uh, p.m but um in exchange for not working on saturdays before it was always including saturday from 8 to 5 so that alone is for a local resident just incredibly difficult mm-hmm. so uh being busy and it's from all sides and if one is done the next one goes up and the constant screaming of of taking down the the of 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 saws taking down the trees i mean there has been such a deforestation which now is also being addressed so there are endless issues and um i don't know how this will proceed i mean it is it is uh, there wonderful um activists like uh, uh, Jay Merrick of Built in Kind, who addresses all of these issues. Uh, she's focused on the East End, uh, East Hampton towards Montauk. But um, the, for, for us residents, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult, very difficult. So what is this uh, meeting that's happening on the 23rd? The meeting is that is about uh, uh, Potter. That is about the development in in uh, downtown Sac Harbor that is presented to the planning board. Okay, it's the a public hearing at five p.m. Got it. And would be pretty important to so show what, up. If so is Potter is Potter going to be presenting plans? What's what is the meeting? Supposedly, he or his representations are presenting plan, but the best is to. To um, look that up, look that up on the on the uh, sagharbornyc.gov. Exactly. Oh, okay. Yes. What the agenda? And you can go to the agenda and then look it up. Yeah. All right. So 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 back to Port and Harbor. Uh, I understand that that these are not just uh, you know uh, you use a lot of charcoal and, and 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 oil and and Goshen pastels, but do you also use wood? In this no, what I did for that show in particular, because uh, it was really addressing this issue. So I did uh, uh, a couple of historic uh, portraits of um, people in Greenport of the 19th century. For instance, Sally Adams, who was a uh, suffragette and gave um, Greenport the auditorium as a cultural center. And then there were 
um, people like uh, Manuel Camio, who came over on a whaler and then opened the first saloon in, in I think, 1860 in, in not Canio, sorry, uh, Claudio, Claudio, instead of Claudio, and that is the current Claudio. So those I painted with charcoal and pastel on sandpaper. And then the architectural sketches and drawings, are a lot of them are on plywood or on vellum. or So I used intentionally materials that are being used in construction. How cool. How, was it, it must have been difficult to paint or, or draw either on sandpaper? No, not at all. It's a, it's a wonderful technique. It's sandpaper, and it holds the charcoal and the pastel. Very. It was actually a technique that was used in the 19th century quite a bit. I love doing it because that way you don't need to use so much fixative. And then, of course, there were also some collages, um, because, it, there, because it catches, because it catches, it within, catches the, yes. in, within the grooves. How yes, cool. exactly. And then I have two very traditional uh, seascapes, one of the of uh, Sack Harbor uh, pre the big hurricane from 1938, which shows sort of an idealized waterfront of Sack Harbor, because now in the summer I couldn't even paint there because there were so many yachts, so you couldn't right. see it. And uh, the one in Greenport, that is from 2023 when I painted it and it shows the fishing vessels. And um, so these these two are also part of the exhibition, sort of the introduction. And at first you think it's sort of a, uh, a romanticized landscape show, but then, you know, there are also portraits of dumpsters and uh, several portraits. And of dumpsters. It, 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 very excited. So this runs the gamut. We'll get it. We'll get a little bit of it all. You'll get the beauty, and then you'll get a bit of of the the pain. Uh, the beauty, and also and also the impending um, destruction, and um, y- using the history um, as a as a commodity, but uh, not for the community, and also. Um, what is also, I mean, what I'm advocating in there was, you know, build sustainable with integrity, mm. smaller footprints. For instance, right. on on our panel was an architect who is very invested in that, Masia Barros, and there was also Tara Kubi, who is the head of the preservation Long Island, um, uh, who who did a lot of great work to preserve historical buildings all over the island. Very excited to see Port and Harbor preservation, not speculation. It's uh, been up since November 10th. It will continue to be up uh, through February 4th at Floyd Memorial Library in Greenport. Before I let you go, uh, Sabina, do you mind just, you know, I know you were born in, in Munich. Do you mind telling us the story of, of growing up, uh, learning to love art, and ultimately coming to Sag Harbor? Um, well, I was born and raised in, in Munich in, and a lot in the countryside in Bavaria. We had an old farmhouse. My father was a modernist architect, but he also restored old farmhouses. And um, I went to art school in Munich and then came to New York and went to art school in the city, but started to work very early on as a I worked for theater and I did illustrations and I did scenic painting. I basically just did anything where I could hold a brush or a pencil. So, right. and, right. and um, eventually uh, I ended up in Sac Harbor and restored my old building. And my daughter was 
born and went to school here. And and so, um, but I still go to Munich quite a bit back and and forth. And and, and now I I see, I see where uh, your love for, for restoring historic architecture comes from when I think about your father and what he did. Yeah, I mean, it also comes out of a necessity in a way, because when I came to Zach Harvard, there was also, you could still, uh, you could still find um, untouched old houses, and there were not historic houses, there were 19th century houses, 18th century houses, and and they were affordable if you were willing to do the work yourself, which we did quite a bit, so... So um, um, that was that was the um, story, and um, I always had a big love of history and 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 historical architecture through millennials. Well, we're we're still we're we are uh, waiting on pins and needles uh, to hear what comes out of the meeting on the twenty third, uh, SagHarborNY.gov. If you'd like to be yes. part of the public. Hearing Sabina Streeter Art dot com uh, to see uh, Sabina's work, but also Floyd Memorial Library the next uh, two or more weekends. I don't know when when the fourth of February will be exactly. I think we have like three weeks left. I think uh, three weeks left, and it would be wonderful if you want some ferry rides and go over to Greenport and see also this, this beautiful library and um, talk to the art curator, Sally Grant, who um, is Scottish, actually. Yes! And, uh, and, and uh, just a fantastic human being. And a, and a great writer, and she was really instrumental to get all this going. I'm very grateful. And I hope the show might come here to, I don't know, maybe the Zach Harbor Library? I haven't... It seems, yeah, it seems very natural uh, that it, that it, that it would or that it might. And um, I'm very excited to see it before it leaves Greenport. I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Sabina Streeter. Again, the exhibit is called uh, Port and Harbor Preservation, Not Speculation. It closes February 4th at Floyd Memorial Library in Greenport. This was the hot studio segment underwritten by Peconic Landing. Uh, this is Swing and Sway, and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. News you can trust, music you love. Just once more 
But I was on the ship And you were on the shore Now I know lonely nights For all the while my heart is whispering Some other harbor lights Will steal your love Sen's very own Christopher Walsh right now. Aesop Rock leading us into the NPR News break at the top of the hour. You're listening to WLIWFM, News You Can Trust. Music, uh, music you love. <laughs>
From Christopher Walsh to Aesop Rock, you get a little bit of it all here on the Heart Morning and Midnight Show, featuring music from all decades and genres, and interviews with folks from all walks of life. All because of you, the listener supporter of WLIWFM. It's from Aesop Rock's 2007 record, None Shall Pass. Dead men, tell no tales. Push the daisies till the soil is stale. And the powder blue tops will the former sail. Mr. Bill's with the cop and kale. Once upon a time in the days of yore, when the people lived fresh at a legend and folklore, there was an old power to pilot a vile slang at a bird perch. Swashbuckle the same Peg leg navigate them starboard to port By the nautical story nail in the harbor is yours You should tell them where you situate the gold It is unless you like a vacation with Danny j j j Like joke, plank for holding the shark tank Maroon the mutineers, consume the souvenirs And while the shiny spoils pile higher every year He was suffocating slow in the box of a buccaneer Ten summers prior on a night like this When he focuses in the face of an angel upon the body of a fish, what the heck? Razzle the telescope, shatter, gathered himself. She was ghost, he was down the rope, ladder to deck. Circled the vessel to 360, swiftly found nothing in the water but salt, piss, and whiskey. Yar, echoed by the swabbies at the bar. He'll be the laughing stock of the Barbary Coast war like this dude. Two glass eyes, or he wearing his patch on the wrong set, 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 Turn and bow, they are pouring shiny petals at your mu- 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 Okay, you queens all day, child wisdom and disease Like the scurvy made his yellow gums bleed And he was eggy from his boots to the feather in his hat Till his quartermaster showed up with a stolen treasure map One look down and left off the dock See if you can guess where X marked the spot The capital was buried at sea in a cursed cave Only one mob away we'd seen the burp, burp, burp Jolly Roger, thank you much. Day and night with his hook hands raised and clutched. But see the vitamin deficiency was strong. So by the time they bumped into the island, he could barely lift his bra. Crawled off the boat, collapsed in the sand. Prayers in the air, sea shells in his hand. And every a hot time, so grand. It's the one that put the lady in the lake on dry. Look, 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 And I wish I could tell you that it ended happy. Pretend like his bones weren't practically snapping. Pretend like her gills didn't dry up and suffer. But that's a half dead pirate and a fish out of water. No lies, got sire, got a million more. From the burgundy lighting above the shores of whores. Before your visions of grandeur go to swallow those sails. Remember dead men tell no t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-t-
With Long Island local news on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, January 15th, 2024, I'm Jenna Volpe on WLIWFM. More than 100 Long Island school districts recorded student opt-out rates above the state rate in the latest round of statewide testing in grades 3 through 8 driving a boycott movement that has long impacted New York. Supporters describe the movement as a protest against a testing system they say has discouraged creative learning in favor of classroom drill work. Opponents respond that disruption of testing has deprived taxpayers and others of accurate scoring data they need in order to judge district performance. John Hildebrand and Anastasia Valiva reporting on Newsday.com that New York remains a rarity nonetheless in the strength of its opt-out movement. A leading national test critic, Bob Schaefer, said he knew of only two states, New York and Colorado, with boycott movements of any size. Quote, New York in general and Long Island in particular are national leaders in the test opt-out movement, and the Board of Regents seems to be taking this seriously. Also here on Long Island, Peconic Bay scallops are as delicate as they are delicious, but at the moment, most of the adult scallops in Peconic Bay are dead. They died in 2019, and nobody knew Exactly why, Christopher Mogg reporting in the New York Times that they died again the following year, about 90, 98% virtually all of adult scallops dead in their pink and green and gray shells along the bottom of the bay. And most of them died every year after. But for fishermen on Shelter Island, scallop season without scallops comes as no surprise. A great harvest in 1894, which it's interesting because we talked about 2019 the year before was a great one. So a great harvest in 1894 was followed by a bust the following year when locals blamed their neighbors for overfishing. Hurricanes destroyed uh, destroyed the scallop beds in 1938 and 1954. A shortage of eelgrass habitat Uh, depressed populations for much of the 1930s and overabundance of algae nearly killed bay scallops off entirely in 1985 and again in 95. The current die-off is no less severe, but it may last longer than any that came before, according to Stephen Tettelback, a shellfish ecologist with the Cornell Cooperative Extension of Suffolk County, Scallops can survive the bay's rising water temperatures caused by warming seas. According to Mr. Tettelback, they can survive the arrival of a new parasite or they can survive the normal stress of spawning, but most cannot survive all three. The result, peconic bay scallops spawn by the millions, then die before they reach harvestable age and size. Since the latest die-off started, Tettleback and his team have periodically dived along the bottom of the bay in scuba gear, searching for adult survivors. These are transported to the extension's hatchery in Southold, where the scallops are held in tanks until spawning season. Their offspring, hundreds of thousands of little shells, are taken back to the bay where they supplement the wild population and where their genetics hopefully will prove more tolerant, according to Harrison Toby, an aquaculture specialist at the extension, 
Early results are promising, Mr. Toby said, but there's no way to know when these efforts will help the population rebound. Could be years before the boom harvest of the last century return. In the meantime, diners intent on eating fresh bay scallops may need to travel to Massachusetts. Cooler water around Nantucket and a healthy spring spawn have resulted in a robust population and talk of a scallop surplus in 2024. And finally, today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, celebrating the birthday of the 20th century civil rights leader here on The Heart with a playlist chock full of songs and uh, information and also by talking with Phil Andrews, the president of both the Long Island African American Chamber of Commerce and 100 Black Men of Eastern New York at the bottom of the hour. Our MLK Day edition of The Heart is underwritten by Jennifer Benton and Glenn Hansen Studio, and we'll be reading the weather in Freeport in honor of Phil, looking like a mostly cloudy Monday with a high near 32 degrees, so just about freezing, though, wind chill values will put us well below that 20 and 25 degrees. West wind, 7 to 9 miles per hour. Tonight, snow likely, mainly after 10 o'clock. Cloudy otherwise with a low around 28 degrees. Wind chill between 20 and 25. Again, west wind, 5 to 7 miles per hour. Um, becoming northeast after midnight. Looking like a 1 to 2 inch accumulation possible of new snow. Right now it's 27 degrees and I'm going to kick it off with a little bedtime history uh, from this year from the inspiring black Americans record of 2023, Martin Luther King, and then a little snippet of Dr. King himself talking civil rights versus social privilege uh, from a press conference in 1963 or from the press conferences of that year as we lead into our Monday meditation underwritten by Glenn Hansen Gallery, Phil Andrews joining us at that time. I'm Jenna Volpe and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. You're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, W-L-I-W-F-M, news you can trust, music you love. So this coming month, February, is Black History Month in the United States and Canada. Black History Month is a time for us to remember important people and events in the history of people of African descent around the world and in our countries. Black History Month can be traced back to 1926, when Carter G. Woodson founded Negro History Week to recognize the achievements made by African Americans. Carter Woodson was a Harvard University graduate, and he chose February as the month to celebrate black history because the birthdays of Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln were both in February. Both of these men had worked hard in their lifetime to end slavery in America. We thought that for this month's first episode of Bedtime History, we would focus on one of the great black rights activists and civil rights leaders of American history, Martin Luther King Jr. Civil rights are the rights of citizens to political and social freedom and equality. 
While it may seem obvious to most of us these days that all humans should be treated equally, this was not always the opinion of many people. In fact, the fight for civil rights was a long and difficult battle and was, was only successful due to the strong efforts of individuals who had a passion for helping others. One of these important people was Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. was born on January 15, 1929 in Atlanta, Georgia. His dad was a pastor and his mother was a school teacher. A pastor is a minister in charge of a Christian church or congregation. Martin also had an older sister named Christine and a younger brother named Alfred. They grew up in a wealthy area of Atlanta called Sweet Auburn, where many black families lived at the time. Martin knew from a young age that he enjoyed a great childhood and a good education that not many black children in America at the time had access to. It inspired him to want to help other black children have the same opportunities to live a good life. He was also inspired by his father, who worked hard on activities to try to improve the lives of black people and achieve equality. Martin was a very good student and he worked hard to get good grades. And because of his hard work, he got into college when he was 15 to study law and medicine. It was called Morehouse College and was the same college that his father and his grandfather had attended. Even though Martin did not originally plan to become a pastor like his father, he became more and more interested in religious studies and politics during his time at college. Martin decided to finish a Bachelor of Divinity degree so that he could become a pastor too. Martin was a popular student even though he was one of the only black students in a mostly white college. He finished his degree in 1948 and was elected president of his class in his final year. After he graduated, Martin moved to Boston to attend Boston University when he was 24. While he was there and studying for a higher level degree, he met Coretta Scott. Coretta was a singer from Alabama who was also in college in Boston. She was studying music at the New England Conservatory of Music. Martin and Coretta fell in love and got married in 1953. After Martin's studies were finished, they moved to Montgomery, Alabama. Martin became the pastor of a church there called the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. He was a great pastor and had a special gift of being a very good public speaker. People always paid attention to what he had to say because he was well-spoken and delivered his sermons in a very convincing style. Martin and Coretta had been living in Montgomery for a short time when they started to have children. At the time, the city of Montgomery was also a center for civil rights struggle in America. The city was very segregated. This means that black and white people were divided and expected to live apart from each other. Some people challenged the rules that forced them to live apart. This led to a court decision about segregation of students in schools. The court decision decided that while black and white kids had been separated in the past, they were now allowed to go to school together. The decision was a great victory for those who wanted equality for all people and the end of segregation. However, the decision made some people who disagreed with these changes very angry. At the time, there was a lot of racism in the area. Racism means to have negative thoughts and actions towards people of a different race, based on the belief that your own race is better. 
The fight over civil rights grew greater in 1955. That year, a black woman named Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat to a white passenger on a bus, and she was arrested. The rules of the time said that she was supposed to sit in the back of the bus, in the segregated section for black people. However, Rosa Parks refused to go to the back of the bus to protest this rule. To protest means to do something to show you were against a rule or a law. Rosa Parks' arrests made a number of people angry. A group of activists got together and decided to stop using the bus as a protest. An activist is someone who works to bring about political or social change. Activist groups started taking more and more actions to try to change the rules that limited equality for black people and separated blacks and whites. Martin Luther King Jr. became the leader and spokesman of the activist group at the time. Martin started speaking as the leader of a group trying to fight racism and bring about equality peacefully. Martin admired Mahatma Gandhi and other peaceful activists from around the world in history. Gandhi and others were people who taught that the way to bring about real change in society was to protest, but not to be violent. Even though Martin was trying to change things peacefully, many people disagreed with him. Many of these people threatened him and his family. Some even tried to set his house on fire. This was very scary for Martin and his family, especially now that they had four young children. Even though it was a scary time for Martin and his family, they were proud of the success of their protests and how many people had joined the cause for equality. Next, Martin began traveling across America and giving talks to big groups of civil rights activists about nonviolent protest. His messages were becoming more and more popular, but also causing more and more people to be angry with him. In 1963, Martin and his friends protested segregation in Birmingham, Alabama, which was one of the most racially divided cities in the United States. Martin was arrested and had to spend time in jail. It was a sad time for him because he was away from his family, but he used this time to write letters to those who opposed him, peacefully trying to convince them of why equality was right and good. Later that year, when he got out of prison, Martin organized a march on Washington for jobs and freedom. A march is a type of protest in which people walk along public roads in an organized way to protest about something. The march was peaceful and it was attended by around 250,000 people. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. At the March on Washington, Martin gave his famous speech known as the I Have a Dream speech. It called for a peaceful world in which all people are treated as equals. Many people around the world watched Martin Luther King give this speech in person and on TV. Later that year, he was named Man of the Year by Time magazine. In 1964, Martin Luther King Jr. also became the youngest person ever to be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. He was only 35 years old, and in August 1965, Congress passed a law that gave all black Americans the right to vote. 
This was a big step and would not have come about at that time if not for the hard work of Martin and his fellow activists. Sadly, a few years later, Martin's life and work were cut short when he was shot and killed. He was standing on the balcony of a motel in Memphis, Tennessee when someone shot him. The killer was a man that had escaped prison. He was later caught and sent back to prison. People across the country were saddened by Martin's death. The president at the time declared a national day of mourning, which was meant to be a time for the entire country to express sorrow over Martin's death. Later in 1983, the U.S. created a federal holiday in honor of Martin Luther King Jr. It is known as Martin Luther King Day and is on the third Monday of January each year. Martin Luther King Jr. was a brave and hardworking man. He fought hard for the things he believed in and to help others. He believed in equality and human rights for all people, regardless of race, ethnicity, skin color, or how rich or poor someone is. And he did so by always being peaceful himself. He was truly an incredible man. There is still much great work to be done as society works towards Martin's dream of full equality. But by learning about Martin and his life and work, you can join the conversation and become part of the efforts that are still underway in your country to bring about full and meaningful equality to all people. And the ways in which you can help society become a more peaceful, equal, and loving place. And if you haven't already heard it, I would recommend that you listen to the full audio of Martin's I Have a Dream speech. It is one of the most famous and amazing speeches of all time. Uh, I would say that our movement here in the United States is in a real sense a part of a worldwide struggle to break down the barriers of injustice and oppression. It is not an isolated or detached struggle, but it is a part of this worldwide struggle for freedom and human dignity. Now, I would say that our movement has been patterned after the Gandhian movement in India a great deal. Uh, I have been influenced by uh, Mahatma Gandhi a great deal, and I think this is true of many, many people uh, in the movement in the United States. Uh, some years ago, when I first studied the Gandhian uh, philosophy and the method of nonviolent resistance, I came to the conclusion that it was the most potent uh, weapon available to oppress people in their struggle for freedom and human dignity. And I would say that this overall direct action movement with its sit-ins and its stand-ins, its wait-ins, its kneel-ins, its mass marches and pilgrimages and all of the other elements that enter the struggle have been patterned a great deal uh, after Gandhi. Now there are certainly some uh, sociological differences in that in the United States we are a numerical minority uh, facing the opposition of uh, many individuals who form a numerical majority, when in India it was uh, the other way around. The other thing is that we are struggling for integration, when in India there was a struggle for independence, and there is a difference. In one instance you're seeking to gain freedom from a foreign invader. In the other instance, you're seeking to come to a new adjustment and the kind of integrated brotherly living uh, with the very people who in the same situation are oppressing you.
the man himself talking about civil rights versus social privilege here on the MLK Day edition of the Heart Morning and Midnight Show on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, leading us to the bottom of the 10 o'clock hour, a little after 1 o'clock. If you're listening to the replay, time for our Monday meditation underwritten by Glenn Hansen Gallery. Very grateful that Phil Andrews, the president of both the Long Island African American Chamber of Commerce and 100 Black Men of Eastern New York, could join us on the heart this morning. Welcome to the show, Phil. Thank you. I'm so grateful to be speaking to you for the first time on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday and would love to start by asking you how the increase of Black-owned business and enterprise in particular are intertwined with the continued realizations of Dr. King's dreams. Well, one of the things that uh, many people do not know about Dr. King, he was um, for pay parity, economic development. He had the uh, Poor People's Campaign. So he knew that um, economic development and parity was just as important as the uh, civil rights movement around um, being able to get on a bus, being able to go into a hotel. So it had to work hand-in-hand that people needed a better quality of life through uh, economic justice. And, of course, he worked very hard as far as the legislation beside, uh, behind civil rights is concerned. But I remember going to a protest um, early in, or amidst the Black Lives Matter movement, the beginning of that movement, and uh, hearing a strengthened message uh, as far as Black-owned business is concerned. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the Long Island African-American uh, Chamber of Commerce and uh, some of the uh, programs and philosophy that run along those uh, lines? Yes, we believe that there's great potential uh, for the um, African-American businesses in the community, uh, but we do need some um, societal support in the form of government and corporations because there's such disparities. Uh, recently, we have been part of a $100 million grant from the White House called the Community Navigator Program that came out of the pandemic because uh, we lost, as you know, we lost so many businesses during right. the pandemic because right. when things get hard for society and we're on a lower economic level, it gets worse. So for the last two years, we've successfully helped businesses from A to Z with a $100 million grant from the White House, and we're making a, a big difference around the nation with, this, uh, with, the, with the support of the government. And, of course, there was racial disparity as far as the economic uh, issues and, and medical issues, all sorts of issues, every issue that was connected to the pan- pandemic. Isn't that correct? That, that's correct, because even during uh, PPP loans, uh, many um, I've got many calls from uh, people that did not have banking relationships. You know, sometimes people are so successful and powerful, they have the banker in their Rolodex. Um, I had to tell businesses how to, which banks are approved by the SBA to give loans. That's one of the things that um, the Chamber of Commerce is very good at. Uh, we know how things work in society. Uh, we have a long history of working with Small Business Administration, SBDC centers, Empire State Development, and um, businesses can call us for help. You know, because when you are doing a business, you know, it's so much on a 
So Brian, as you know, fifty percent over fifty percent of African American businesses are solo employees and do not have mm-hmm. any employees. So imagine you're everything. Right. You're, you're the dishwasher, you're the bookkeeper, you're everything that a business needs. So we know that with the Chamber of Commerce, we're going to be making a difference in uh, bringing access and more services to the community. And it's interesting because especially when you're a, a small business operator, a solo uh, operator, uh, there are these tips and tricks. There's, there's so much uh, bureaucracy uh, surrounding and red tape that surround uh, decisions that can really uh, make or break a small business. So it's it's really wonderful that an organization like the Long Island African American Chambers Chamber of Commerce exists uh, because uh, this must be making all the difference to some folks who simply don't understand the politics around uh, certain economic programs. And the other thing I've learned too that uh, you know having support um, sometimes you could be at a point in your business where you think that you can't succeed anymore mm. you can't go on mm. so having the type of uh, psychological support motivation behind you uh, somebody being able to access people make calls for you get you uh, we've got quite a few uh, small businesses grants for QuickBooks we've got them grants for a ten week course for free. So we are, right now we're training them because we think it's more than just money because right. you can have all the money right. in the world and you don't have the right skill, you don't have the right uh, way you're looking at your business, right. you don't keep your books well. So we're looking at all of the things that we can support them around uh, small business. And one of the things I want to say about Dr. King, uh, Dr. King was very important in my childhood. Oh, I'm, I also looked at Dr. You know, King as you a know, motive. Phil. That was my that was my next question for you. Is can you talk about how Dr. King inspired you as a young person? You're reading my mind. Oh man, Dr. <laughs> King. One of the things that he did was I call him a motivator. He was a extremely uh, motivational when he said, "If you can't be this, if you can't be a mountain, be a molehill. If you can't." Great men are not made overnight. They're made through toilet while others are sleeping toilet. So I used to be as a child quoting his thing in the mirror, his quotes in the mirror, but because it was so motivational. But no, nobody ever looks at him as a motivator. And um, the second thing also that um, he is a massive communicator. Right. And I've once read that the, some of the most successful people in the world a massive communicator, and he has a platform. So I also use that as a way to, the more you could talk to people, the more people reach people, the more you can get your message out, you could have more impact. So he was just amazing to me as a child on so many different levels that most people don't think about. So speaking of youth, I'd love to hear more about 100 Black Men of Eastern New York and about the importance of mentorship uh, for our youth, uh, teaching our kids I'm sure skills exactly like that, communicating and and networking with others. But one of the models of the 100 Black Men is that what they see is what they'll be. And uh, we have to be let uh, expose ourselves to young people. It is the primary thing. Um, We could see, we can make millions of dollars, but while while we're doing good, we also want to impact young people because we got to take the next generation along with us. Otherwise, uh, our success is only going to be for a limited amount of time if we don't mentor. And uh, one of the new things that we're doing at the 100 Black Men is we have uh, 
change mentoring all the way up to mentoring across a lifetime where we could mentor up to 78 years old. Because as you know, some 25-year-olds be mentoring, some 45-year-olds be mentoring, and some 50. Amen. So we are, we, I love the concept of across a lifetime because I that's love what it that. takes. I absolutely love that, especially, you know, in this day and age. What a beautiful thing. Yes, and I was excited about it because, you know, we was primarily work with high school and college kids, uh, and it, and I thought that was a great addition. And one of the other things that we did, we added leadership onto the uh, – we have four for the future, mentoring, education, economic development, and health and wellness, plus leadership. If we don't teach leadership, we're going to be in trouble too. Right. And I love the quote, what they see is what they'll be. Uh, it, it really uh, speaks to – uh, the importance uh, personal uh, of taking personal responsibility and making sure uh, one is always presenting and putting their best foot and f- what what not uh, forward and uh, uh, showing to the world. That's true. Speaking of mentorship, can you talk about how the Tuskegee Airmen played a part in mentoring you? Well, one of my mentors, his name was Ed Monroe. Ed Monroe was a Tuskegee Airman. Um, actually, he passed away, but he, they named the street after him in Freeport. And what was very unique about Ed Monroe, he was just a charmer. And uh, you're going to love what he used to wish to whisper in my ear. He used to whisper in my ear, we all got a little Tuskegee in us. <laughs> I love that. And then there was a second one. Uh, his name was Silas Jenkins. He was out of Chicago. Uh, and he used to uh, take me to the Interfaith Nutrition Network, the end, uh, with that feed all 500 people a day on um, in Long Island. And he said, Phil, uh, you need to be involved in this. They're feeding our community. It's beautiful. So that ended up for me, for the last seven years, I've been on the board of directors uh, for the Inter- Interfaith Nutrition Network because my mentor, former Tuskegee Airmen, took me to the end and said, I need, I, we need to be involved in that. So food insecurity is a major, major issue uh, right now across the nation, across the world, uh, and definitely here on Long Island. Uh, do you mind talking a little bit more about the inn? Oh, yes. The inn is a very comprehensive, um, uh, this morning, just food services. They provide uh, health services, uh, they allow people to take um, a shower. And then for so many years, uh, the end was doing such a jo- good job uh, feeding the homeless. Uh, the building next door, the man, uh, the, the owner donated it for $1 to the end. And one of the things that the end did, they're, they're feeding them on, on the homeless and food security side, but they got a center for transformation change Right next to it, the oh, only fantastic. place in the in the country that could feed you on one side and then prepare you back to get into society. Because the question came up, like, all right, you've been feeding people 25, 30 years. How many people did you help get back into society? So it's the one most unique place in the country that we have that position to have, uh, you know, dealing with food security and also getting them to work, getting them medical, getting them their ID, everything you could think of trying to get them back into society right next to when they when they come in, and particularly a lot of them may be homeless. I think about you, Phil, 
uh, you are a, a rare person that that truly understands how comprehensive uh, racial and economic uh, disparity uh, is and and what it means and what it takes uh, to move up in society, as it were. Yes, I've been blessed. Um, also, too, I also believe I have a quote that I came up with. When we only work with ourselves, we disempower ourselves. So I also have uh, took uh, training with the Jewish Relations Community Council. I work with the Indian community. I work with the major society because we have to have a seat at the table. Right. You know, and if, and if we put into society, we'll be able to take something out. But I do believe that uh, my early childhood, uh, being raised by a very religious person, and we used to pick up the whole neighborhood. So I often tell people that leadership is not a new concept because I learned it as a child. Do you mind talking about that more? Because I, I really, I really want to explore a bit about, uh, you know, how a person like yourself comes to be and to become. Well, one of the things is my mother passed away when I was five years old, and I really don't know my mother. Um, but um, it was nine of us, but none of us went into foster care. And all the relatives um, took us in, two over here, two over here, one over here. So it taught me the importance of community and family. And um, I was raised by an extraordinary um, uh, aunt that was a valedictorian in high school but couldn't go to college because she had to work in the farm. So we, it really gave us a sense of um the value of education and, the, and in fact that one of our relatives was a valedictorian and then wasn't able to go to college because she had to farm. Mm. So those are like my early roots that really uh, started me to value hard work and, and appreciation for someone that took me because I could have been that foster care story. Right, right. And And how nice was it to be able to live with family who – I'm sure, shared stories about your mother with you. Oh, yes, it was wonderful. And it, it was so wonderful, um, and you know, being raised with my aunt. And um, when my cousin passed away uh, of my aunt's so uh, son, they had us down as a, a, a brother and a sister. It wasn't even like you was my cousin. You know, right. you was my brother. Right. And that, that's a, that was an extraordinary lesson in family and community. Uh, Phil, I want to make sure that folks know where they can find resources uh, for 100 black men of Eastern New York and the uh, African-American Chamber of Commerce throughout the island. Where can folks go to find out more information about the organizations that you work with as well as the inn? Well, one of the things you could do is um, you can uh, just Google largest African American Chamber of Commerce, uh, and our acronym is LIAACC, and our website is www.liaacc.org. We have a tremendous uh, uh, footprint. And the 100 black men, um, as you know, you may not know, I was a former president of a former chapter, and I um, founded the first new chapter since the 1970s that has come into the downstate area, and we have the ability to go into downstate, which means the Bronx, Queens, Brooklyn, Long Island, and, and around the mass of Manhattan waters. So we think that um, 100 black men is so vitally important because during the pandemic, 
one of the things that we didn't find was a lot of voices of black men. Right. And we have a website called uh, at 100 Black Men in East New York, www.100bmeny.org. What led to that decision to found that chapter? Well, you know, because the founders, one of the things that led me to is that the the former chapter uh, was having some challenges, and those were my mentors. I mean, they gave some, so I could not sleep without um, knowing that the chapter continued because all of these young, all I came came into 100 Black Men Board of Directors at 25 years old, so I was just fortunate to be around such extraordinary men, and I could not rest until we put that chapter back into the community. Just unbelievably grateful to and for you and people like you, Phil. And again, very grateful we got to speak for the first time on the birthday of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, I'm going to play Solemn Remy and play Say It Loud. And uh, this one featuring CeeLo Green from the from 2020, from the pandemic year and very excited to hear your conversation with our general manager Diane Michelli coming up uh, as d- date to be determined but coming soon to here uh, Long Island's only local NPR radio station thank you Phil thank you you're listening to WLIWFM Long Island's only local NPR radio station the Heart of the East End with Gianna Volpe and Phil Andrews.
reggae, my friends. It's Max Romeo. On WLIWFM. Everyone speaks of Marcos Gavé. No one remembers Martin Luther King. They talk about Jose Martin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No one remembers Martin Luther King. All over the world he traveled, spreading the word of freedom, taking all the abuses, working for Jaja Kingdom. They talk about Captain Morgan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No one remembers Martin Luther King. the word of freedom, taking all the abuses, working for Jaja Kingdom. They talk about President Roosevelt. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oliver and the mighty Sparrow lead you into the NPR news break at the top of the hour uh, hour, and end the MLK Day edition of The Heart. Often my favorite holiday to celebrate of the year. I love getting to listen to his speeches and remember this Giant. Martin Luther King Jr. No one person in the history of black America has inspired a nation as did Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He has been one of the country's most dynamic leaders in the fight 
for peaceful equality of all men. Martin Luther King was born January 15, 1929 in Atlanta, Georgia. His father was a well-known minister of one of Atlanta's leading black churches. In 1947, Martin Luther King was ordained a Baptist minister and later accepted the pastorship of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. During the 1950s, Martin Luther King became a leader in the civil rights movement, overtaking the South. His first challenge was the boycotting of buses in Montgomery, Alabama. Mrs. Rosa Parks, a black seamstress at the time, refused to give up her seat to a white passenger. The arrest of Mrs. Parks triggered the 382-day boycott by black passengers. Many of the whites blamed Dr. King for the success of the boycott, and threats on his life became very real when bombs exploded on his family's front porch. However, Dr. King stood fast in his conviction of nonviolence and urged his people to forgive their enemies and achieve a peaceful solution to their problems. The bus boycott was recognized as a clear victory for nonviolent protest, and King was regarded as a highly respected leader in the movement. Dr. King took part in many marches and demonstrations. A huge civil rights movement in Birmingham, Alabama, was followed by major drives for black voter registration. By 1967, Dr. King had been arrested and jailed 13 times for his nonviolent demonstrations. On August 28, 1963, a massive civil rights demonstration was held in front of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. Dr. King spoke to more than 250,000 people about his dream. This is part of his speech. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day, even in the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the people's injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., a great black African-American hero and a great man of history. I'm Jenna Volpe. That was Ronald Tyke Oliver. This is the Mighty Sparrow and you, whoever you are out there. You're awesome. 
and you're listening to WLIWFM. News you can trust, music you love on 88.3 FM throughout eastern Long Island and coastal Connecticut, 96.9 in central and western Suffolk County, streaming online to wherever you are at WLIW.org slash radio. Martin Luther King is dead and Now who do we have As a civil rights leader he stood for his father was assassinated one early April night. Well, now that his precious blood was shed, plenty gon' live and plenty gon' dead. It's gonna be a long Discrimination has gone too far. Luther King is dead. And now this we cannot avoid. Segregation must be destroyed. An apostle of peace was he. He gave his life for racial equality. During his struggles... Raise your hand if you've seen MLK FBI. He was awarded that coveted Nobel Prize. Brutally beaten and jailed many, many, many demonstrations were his only crime. Yet still he walked, I said he walked in the footsteps of Jesus. And just like Christ, he died for us. It's gonna be a long, Discrimination has gone too far. Luther King is dead. And now, this we cannot avoid. Segregation must be destroyed. An honorable, peaceful, and noble man. He was the greatest civil rights leader in the land. Assassinated at the age of 39. He was murdered while he was still in his prime. But he had a dream for America in his prime. Where the blacks and the whites will walk together hand in hand. Amen. 